Welcome back to Operation Opera. This is our second episode. And we have a jingle, which is really exciting. So we're happy about it. This In this episode, we t- are talking about one of our biggest influences, especially for Elisa. This is uh, Joyce Di Donato, who gave a master class. And she was able to attend. And these are sort of our thoughts and about music and all things related to opera and especially to this experience. So enjoy. I saw her for the first time live in 2013, the spring of 2013, when she did Maria Stuarda at the Met. And then last week, one week ago today, actually, um, I saw her live again and just, just thrilling. Hmm. Yeah. And it is, it's the authenticity that's there. That was actually my takeaway from, Maybe I'll maybe I'll spoil the ending, but um, my takeaway from the concert and also from the masterclass, honestly, uh, because she was so authentic with everybody, is that she she is not trying to prove anything. She is speaking the oh this is what I this is what it was it's that but it's also this she's not trying to impress anyone. Yep. She she is speaking the truth and allowing the truth to impress people, and it does. Mm-hmm. It is so powerful. So she just is presenting the truth. And so that's what she finds in the character. She finds these these truths, these, this humanity that everyone can relate to. And then she just sort of places it out there. And people come and gobble it up because they want to connect in that way. They want to be understood in that way. They understand what she's doing. And so it's just this wonderful, um, yeah, sort of, connectivity that she establishes through tapping into the truth and letting people then pick up on it. That's beautiful. I think about truth and what does it mean? Like, what does that mean? What, as a performer, how do you know? Or what does it take to know? Because I think we actually do know when we've reached it. Like, there are moments like I did this recording this morning, you know, getting ready to send off for all these these fall auditions, and I had to make this video recording. And there are a couple of moments in one of these songs where, where the piano and I just, as a singer, have this conversation that oh. it just makes me smile. Like in those moments, like I just have to smile because it's like yes, and there it is. We've had a musical conversation. And how does that translate? I mean, I guess I'll find out. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, yes, yeah. but it, bring, it brings it to life almost. You know, having, making that collaborative, um, making it more collaborative even, upping the, upping the ante with collaboration, it just, it just makes it more alive. One thing Joyce said right at the beginning, because she won, she said right off the bat, I'm sure you're doing great work, but with there is always more freedom, more music, more depth, and more truth. 
Mm-hmm. And so she was like, this is what we're going to find today. And, and I think that that is sort of the truth is sort of this freedom. And, and how often do we with music allow it to become chains, you know? And- Absolutely. Well, and also <laughs> so- because of fear, right? We're afraid it's like, like I, I appreciated that the caveat that you just described of what she said, because you acknowledge all of the work and all of the preparation and all that it takes to come up and do this thing that we do. And, and then you say, and here's a little more, here's a little something to give it, to give it just a little bit, you know, more of an edge or more of a more, more dimension. And, and that takes a lot of humility as a singer to be able to, to one, accept that there's more to do, but also to embrace it and recognize that it doesn't throw out what you've done before. It doesn't mean that everything up until this moment has been crap. You know, it just means right. that, that yes, and here's a little bit, a little extra. Yeah, or even yeah, or even taking it in another direction. So I want to jump actually to the end of the of her concert really quickly to tie in something that that relates to what we're talking about right now. It was it was sort of a surprise. She actually um, geared a lot of her performance toward the young students who were in the audience, mm-hmm. and because they, they all had an opportunity to buy tickets in advance for fifteen dollars a piece, so well they could get two tickets, up to two tickets for fifteen bucks a piece. But that's a great price. Yeah, they were around fifty dollars, and so um, she said to them that I prepared these ones for you. Her last set on the program and you know what it was it was it was three arias from the you know the 26 italian songs but her fabulous pianist craig terry did arrangements jazz arrangements for these for these uh aria antique and so she started singing, and then here he is just doing, you know what I mean? Like, like jazz piano, jazz chords. And, and it was just fantastic because, and she even told a story from, from her earliest days, you know, because she actually was not allowed into a performance program as an undergrad. She was education because she wasn't good enough for the performance program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of her first juries, I think, she sang Caro Mio Ben. Gosh, I hate that song. Sorry. Right. Well, and a lot of people do because it gets done poorly so often. <laughs> beginning aria, right? And it sort of is like it's sort of like the beginning violin student, you know, whatever they're assigned. Everyone hates that because it, it's always out of tune and it's always sort of squeaky and whatever. It's the same thing with voice, right? And uh, she told this story about just freezing and and like just being so afraid and singing the song. And so it was her way of just loosening up these, you know, these first songs that, and of course also the Italian and everything. It's a lot of pressure for a new singer and for a young singer um, to sing these arias, you know, even though they are this basically the simplest <laughs> you can do. Um, and so, yeah, they were just kind of swinging it. And uh, I thought it was so delightful. I just couldn't, I couldn't get over it because, of course, I recognized the melodies myself, but then the piano was just doing something so completely different. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard a couple of people whose opinions I really trust said things like, opera doesn't have to be and really shouldn't be quite so serious. Yeah. 
And I think that that was her way, like what you just described, that seems like that would be her way to sort of show that, that, you know, this is where you start, but this is just the beginning and you aren't going to have to be singing these forever. And here's a way to make it fun. And you'll recognize this because you might not recognize anything else that I'm going to sing, um, you know, because you're a freshman and you have no idea. Yeah. Well, and it was actually at the end of the program. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, it was just, yeah, it was a really fun twist hmm. on these well-known melodies. That's yeah, really I, cool. I just was sitting there in my seat giggling the whole time. This unexpected jazz chord would happen at a certain, and just the progression of it, you know, it's just not what you're used to hearing. So yeah. it was, it was, it kept it, it kept it, kept me engaged, kept it exciting on a certain level. Real. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um. So the next person who got up to sing was this lovely senior, because the first, the, the Carmen was a grad student, and so she was a little bit older, you know, for, you know, for college. And uh, the second girl got up, she was a senior in undergrad, and she sang Will, the Willow song from Ballad of Baby Doe. So she sang, she actually sang with a, with a level of vulnerability that really touched me. Mm. And, and Joyce made that comment afterward. She actually got a brava from me. Um, after the after the aria was over, there was this pause before people started clapping, um, and uh, <clears throat> anyway, it was it was touching, and Joyce actually went in on her voice to help with technique, which I found interesting because she had said that she's not she's not a teacher, and you know what she had her do? She had her do staccato, and what did that remind me of? Hmm, <laughs> hard ataka. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, she was trying to help her find a place of resonance with more core in the sound. And she said, staccato will tell you whether there's core from the onset. Absolutely. So you don't have time to get there. You have to be there when you start because then the note's over. (laughs) Yep. Yep. There it went. Yep. That was it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, and I guess maybe we have listeners who may not be familiar with staccato. That's possible. So a staccato note is one that is detached. So staccato means, so it's short. So like, ah, 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 ah. That's a little hard to talk for you too. Um, so um, so she, she explained this concept of interference that comes when you try to make more sound. Yes. Yes, and I loved that. I thought, ooh, that's so true because our vocal mechanism is designed to be able to make sound that is then it, it then resonates in certain spaces and when we use the spaces properly and the and the, the resonance the closure everything is is balanced then there shouldn't be a need or a desire to make sound the sound just comes spontaneously right with training um, and then when we do try to make a bigger sound, which, oh my goodness, I've been guilty of that over the years, so guilty, um, then we get this, this other stuff that comes in because it is out of balance and there is muscular tension from effort, from trying to make more sound. Mm-hmm. And um, she said the interference does not carry over the orchestra. The that's core right. is what carries over the orchestra. That's right. And that's why, like even having a huge sound naturally doesn't necessarily mean that your voice will carry. Like if your voice 
doesn't have core in it, if it's just the noise, which is actually really common and commonly being taught now, yeah. um, is, is because you're playing for a room instead of for a hall. Yeah. You're playing for this, you know, this moment instead of carrying through an orchestra. Right. Or you're being mic'd. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I remember one thing that our dear teacher, Olga Sergeyevna said, is that without Squilo, you cannot have the career. And I think that's true. And that is, that is that core resonance that, uh, that cuts that cuts through the orchestra. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't have a career as an opera singer. You can have a career as a pop singer. You can have a career even for the most part as a musical theater singer. And many of the opera singers of today who are being trained as opera singers are really being trained as musical theater singers because most people don't know how to teach core. They don't know how to... Um, in fact, and also it's it's not that pleasant like teaching <laughs> teaching core is not a That's pleasant right. experience. Tweening. It's not pretty. It's I, not result based. It's process based. Right, exactly. It's you know, we make sounds that exactly they're process, they're not results, and you have to be patient with that to yep. find the resonance that is high enough to be appropriate to opera and not just music theater. And music it's balanced. theater voices are lovely mm -hmm. but they cannot sing opera. And I'd say a lot of people are like we're singing classical pieces, but with a musical theater technique. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, my undergrad and, and even, you know, many years afterward, I, 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 I kind of knew it instinctually. I just felt like, no, I, I, I hear certain voices and I'm like, no, that voice sounds smooth and even and they don't look like it hurts. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and I'm like, well, what are they what are they doing? And people will say, oh, they're on the breath, dear. And I'm like, well, what does it mean beyond the breath? You know, so um, and so then you try and push the air. And then yeah. that's what, you know, what, what it sounds like what Joyce was talking about with this student was that you think, OK, so I need more air. But like the visual for me that comes to mind, it's like, you know, on a sailboat, if you're if the wind comes and your sail is tied to the mast oh, well, <laughs> goodbye, wind. You're not going anywhere <laughs> because you had nothing to catch the breeze. You had nothing to catch the wind. And, and I feel like when the muscles are aligned and we have that space open, when the air comes through, it catches the sail. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. Oh, and um, speaking of breath, actually, one other point she made, which I thought was really interesting, when she was working on the staccato with this young woman, um, she told her that the breath can get stacked inside of you, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and then you just have to, like, exhale it. and shake it out yes, and relax to let it out, um, because otherwise there will be, there will be unnecessary tension um, in the body. And, you know, for a staccato note you actually don't even need to inhale like there, it doesn't require much breath at all and finding that balance with the breath is one of the most important things yeah coordinating the voice yeah and really it can take a couple of years to develop that as long as you are being taught in a way that is something that you understand and that um is consistent 
and is often. Um, you know, yeah. Marilyn Horn famously a few years ago said, you know, one lesson a week is not enough because they forget. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, whatever, I don't forget. I can do this. <laughs> you know, I was like, like, I'll remember, I'll record it and I'll listen and I'll do it. But but it's it's not a question of like will power. Yeah. It's a question of muscles. Like you cannot say, I'm going to run a marathon and I'm going to train once a week. We've talked about this. I'm going to train once a week. It's going to be great. I'm totally going to remember what I have to do and I'm going to be fine. Um, no. <laughs> no, you won't. And it won't happen, you know. That's right. That's right. And opera is like the Olympics. That's right. The Olympics are are like roles are like Olympic events. And if you have if you have the natural timbre of an opera singer, if you have the voice in you, it is possible to train the instrument, but you have to treat it like an instrument and not a voice. You have to train it slowly and incrementally the way that you train in any other instrument. And you right. have to be working with someone that you trust um, to do that and who knows what your instrument is capable of. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like building it, right? And everybody's mm-hmm. instrument with the voice, everybody's instrument is shaped a little bit differently because the, the anatomy of the mechanism is different from person to person. And so you have to... You have to understand the individual strengths and weaknesses of your instrument and how how you're going to use them to your advantage, how you're going to strengthen strengthen it in certain, and be mindful of certain aspects of it um, that that may <laughs> you know may have a tendency to betray you. You have to figure out how to how to harness those and and rein it in and and make everything work to your advantage so that singing becomes very enjoyable for you as an artist well and yeah and knowing what or an obstacle right and i and i appreciate what you were saying about knowing what your strengths are like i used to be so sad that i was not a lyric caller tour i was just like man i want i mean clearly i'm still a little bit sad that i can't just like float a high f for seven years you know it's kind of a bummer I, I, I would love to be, one, because those voices are the most palatable in a smaller space. Mm-hmm. Those are the voices that people, you know, will just sit back and say, oh, it's just so beautiful. And it is because you sound like a bell. But if your voice is not bell-like, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have validity. It just means that you have to understand the mechanism. Like you were saying, you have to understand what you have and not judge it as being good or bad, but um, on a on a gradation scale, like well, you know, what are my strengths? My strengths are I can hold my breath for a really long time. Like I can hold my breath like a really long time sometimes, and and you know I can sustain notes with a lot of intensity. And you have an extremely unique timbre. Yeah, of a re- strength. Yeah, yeah, a really unique timbre. People are like, oh, that's Rachel. You know. <laughs> And some people are like, oh, that's Rachel. I don't really like that sound. Well, then I'm not for you. You know, some people like tea. Some people like coffee. Um, It's, it's, you know, apples and oranges. But it's important to not say, oh, man, I really wish I were an apple when you're an orange. That's right. So. That's absolutely right. Embracing what you have to offer. Because it really is 
you're the only person who can offer that. That's right. You're com- and that's where we really struggle as a community, as opera singers in general, is this idea of comparison, which comparison is essential to understanding how the voice is working, you know, how the instrument is balancing. But it is absolutely detrimental to a person when you're not um, able to separate your ego from, you know, what what the voice is doing. Like, you have to be able to, um, to as much as possible, objectively listen and look and say, okay, so, you know, this is going on, this needs to switch. And, and also, I feel like when we talk about other singers, like, when it's like, oh, man, she totally screwed that up, you know, or like, man, he just blah, blah, blah. Like, um, these are people, yeah, you know, and I wasn't there. I wasn't on the stage in that moment. I don't know what it felt like. And that doesn't mean that I don't have to be honest about, you know, what was maybe going on with the voice in that moment. But it does mean that, you know, compassion is kind of essential because without it, yeah. um, you kind of aren't really free to create art. Right. I think the thing that I loved about Joyce the very most is her authenticity um, because it is it's sort of like this is me, the good and the bad. And it's not like she's trying to cover up the bad and emphasize only the good. I think she embraces her whole self. Yeah. And and she sees herself as a as a vessel. Hmm. As a way, you know, as a vehicle to communicate beauty and truth. Yes. And that's how it has to be. Yeah, and not as an end in herself, in and of herself. Yeah. She the end is the beauty and the truth and she is the means. Yep. And I think if we all as performers could see ourselves as being that, as vessels, um, there would be a lot less, um, there would be far fewer boring performances. Uh, Right, because they're worried about how they look and being correct. Yeah, instead of, can this person feel what my character is feeling? So I want to actually, this is a good segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about with a comment that, that Joyce made in the master class. I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to know what you think about it. She said, as performers, we walk the line between creating the atmosphere and buying into it. Absolutely. So, and I'll actually, this is, this made me think of one, one experience in particular, which is when I sang the role of Swara Angelica. And, um, for those of those who may not be familiar with the role, um, Angelica is a tragic opera, and this very, young very woman sad. is committed to a nunnery by her family because she got pregnant out of wedlock, and they have told her that they'll take care of her son. And then her evil aunt, <laughs> the princess aunt, comes to visit her at the nunnery to get her to sign away her rights to any of the family's fortune because her brother is getting married. And oh, when so sad. Oh. Angelica asks, the aunt how her boy is doing her aunt tells her sort of dismissively yeah, very glibly that, what was that was very glibly she's just like yeah. oh well yeah oh he passed away yeah and of course this is devastating news 
um, to Angelica. And not just that he passed away, he died two years before. And no one And no her. one said right. anything to her. Right, which is why I was saying it was very dismissively, like she didn't even feel the need to convey that information. And but that, since she asked, I guess I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. Like she didn't have a right as the boy's mother to be the first to be informed or to be, you know, arranged to come and visit, you yeah. know, during his final days or weeks when they knew that he was not doing well. Uh, yeah. Right. So anyway, um, so, and she, um, subsequently decides to take her own life so that she can be with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe one of my very favorite moments in opera is when she's received into heaven after committing suicide, because that was Puccini's way of, of kind of giving a big middle finger to the Catholic church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does that a, a, quite a bit, actually, in a lot of his a lot of his yeah. operas. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of corruption, and I'm going to show it on stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah, there's a lot of love there, though, in the with those that music at the end. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, it's when you know, it's like, oh goodness, you know, everyone in the audience is fretting. What's going to happen to Angelica? She's killing herself. This is terrible. She's never going to see her boy again because. She's going to go to purgatory and, uh, yeah. And then that's the ending. It's like, yeah, well, because I think right toward the, right toward the end of that scene, after she's taken this poison, she has this moment of sanity where she realizes what she's done and how, what she's committing by doing this. And in that moment, I think that's when you're talking about how the music becomes so sort of transformative because it's like wait but I'm sorry you know it's like she she um in a way it's like an atonement like she she says oh no I I shouldn't have done this and pleads for forgiveness right and then is taken to heaven so it's this idea of um you know it wasn't just that you know she was in shock and grief and so she she commits suicide it's truly out of love i want to be with my child and oh no i shouldn't have done this um you know have mercy on me right so yeah so in this particular i was just really fresh out of graduate school when i sang this and um and my mentor said to me you can't this is going back to the walking the line between creating the atmosphere and buying into it. You can't be up on the stage sobbing <laughs> like a big boob. Yep. You can't you can't do that because it doesn't actually it's not powerful for the audience when the singer is having a moment. Yeah, it's selfish. Yeah, it's it 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 sort of insulates that experience for the person. Because you take away discovery. They have to discover it for themselves, and if you're playing the result, then they don't get they don't get to experience it. Right, right, and and so and it's difficult as the performer for sure. I actually had an interesting experience uh, when I, I was studying just straight acting with with this acting teacher, and I came in to do this scene, um, and after it was over, he said, "Congratulations, you." you were completely present through the whole scene. And I didn't exactly know what he meant, but I remember a couple of moments during that performance where I knew I knew my lines and I knew I knew my scene partner's lines, but I was so like 
confused because the character was confused about where I was. Like I was inside this room and I'm like, okay, where's my hat? What, I mean, where's my, I need my jacket. Like, bleh. like there was this, there was this sort of bubbling that was under the surface. And I think that that was what he was talking about. Like there's this life that it can never be waiting for your turn to speak. Uh. It has to always be about whatever it is that you're going through and how that affects other people, but mostly how what you're going through has to be real. And real doesn't mean like crying, like what you're talking, you know, what Uh we were saying. It means um, surviving because survival is interesting. Victimization, Victimization is not interesting. Victims are not people we root for. We root for people who are strong, though their circumstances would say that they should be a victim. Right, like the we, underdog. Yeah, we, we root for Rudy, you know? Yes. <laughs> this is wonderful, Rachel. I love this point you just made. Another thing that Joyce said is wherever you put your attention or your energy or your focus, the audience follows it. So... And this is interesting, actually, um, it, the carryover from the stage into life, I think, too. Um, she says the atmosphere of wonder is created by sustaining the energy or focus. Yes. And so if you're, yeah, and so if you're clear in your mind, the voice will fall into place, the body, you know, the gestures, whatever, the characterization will fall into place. And then the audience will follow that as well. So it's about getting really clear yes, in your mind, which actually brings me to my next thing, which was so funny. This guy, the next person who came up after Baby Doe, he sang a Debussy um, art song. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, it was pretty. Whatever it was, it was Debussy, so it was pretty. It was. It was <laughs> lovely. and uh, And so... Joyce said, there's something that tells me this needs Tai Chi. Interesting. And then she said, do you know anything about Tai Chi? And he said, no, not really. And she said, me either. We're going to do it anyway. (laughs) And she just started (laughs) singing. And it was like this continuous transfer of energy. They were were pushing, they were passing the energy back and forth to each other, but with these really slow movements, right? That we know slow movements put us into our deep muscles. Right. And um, they were just faking Tai Chi, both of them, for like minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was. It was kind of great. And then it, what was funny is, um, oh, and she told them, she said, the body has learned how to freeze. So you just have to break that down and retrain it. Yes. That's right. And, and so doing this Tai Chi and having this, this feeling of continuous energy moving, continuous movement, moving the energy around in this sort of continual stream of motion, even though it's slow, um, was helping to, to get the body to be more fluid and not locked up. Um, and then she said, <laughs> the next person came up, and uh, he was actually singing Fenton's aria from Falstaff, which I love. Mm-hmm. There were two tall tenors at this master class. I thought, oh, my goodness, it's like, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow times <laughs> two. I was like, what? Tall tenors? What? I can wear heels with you. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. 
<laughs> anyway, and she said, no, I just want to do tai, tai Chi with everyone. Maybe I should study it first. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> and she told him That's about, awesome. I need to actually look this person up because I don't, um, I didn't check the, I think the name is Deborah Barenboim, and it's a breath expert. Oh, and, yeah. Um, she's in New York. Yeah. Okay. You've heard of this person. Yeah. I went to one of, I went to uh, a little session that a friend of mine did with her. Ah, so maybe you know this one. She said, Deborah has, Joyce works with her and, and Deborah has her imagine tent poles coming out of the four corners of her pelvis and going down into the ground, like at an angle, like way out. Um, and then as she's singing, the tent poles sort of corkscrew into the ground. So there's this continual circling motion, which she was like, I really like the round direction, like circular, because it's like it never ends, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, it just keeps going and going and going, and they just keep keep going in further into the ground. They have this magical power of being infinity long. That scares me to death. Go on. What, the corkscrew? Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't like chain me down yikes sorry go on yeah i don't know though because i think i told you about the um the exercise that manu did with me this summer Mm -hmm. um where he had me imagine that my feet were enormous yes and it was like they were like 10 times larger than my regular feet and then slowly going up my body imagining my ankles and my calves and everything just being this these enormous heavy and you know what it was amazing what it did for my energy in terms of it grounds you yeah, yeah. i felt very yeah safe. being very connected to the floor i mean alexander technique is very much about that as well but i like manu's um visualizations because they're sort of immediate alexander can take a while you got to start, you know, laying down and then you pull your yeah. leg. And bleh, bleh. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. great, but yeah. Well, and Alexander, of course, is a technique and not just a, a one-time sort of imagery. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Something to help you in a moment of, you know, perhaps when the breath is not stable and not, you know, not grounded enough, you can, you know, have that kind of visual, kind of a visualization that helps you be there. Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah, and she said the low support is allowing the top to fly. Yep. So it's sort of this very grounded, and then that is the support that the top needs in order to really get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last guy who got up, he's saying, it was another tall tenor, he's saying, Una furtiva lacrima from Lenzir d'Amore. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is one of the most famous tenor arias and one of the most tender and beautiful Um, and bel canto and it was interesting because she nailed it on the head with this one it's so easy for tenors to get up and sing this aria like they are opening a can of tuna you know it's like this is tuna una furtiva lagrima una furtiva lagrima i have a can opener and i'm just going to open the can of tuna it's the same tuna everyone knows this tuna right but you know this tune huh huh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. I just, oh, that was good. That was I a good couldn't one. couldn't help myself. Um, so uh, she said, I can't stand it how we assume that everyone knows how opera goes because it's been around for so long. And this is one of her... Brava! Right? This is one of her secrets, though, 
to keeping people on the edge of their seats when they watch her. I am one of those people who's been on the edge of my seat, and that's not an easy feat. Mm -hmm. It's because she is reinventing. She is innovating. She is constantly keeping it fresh by discovering the truth in it. And it's not canned, and it's not a vain repetition, if you will. It's not just, oh, that's nice. We love that aria. It's, this is my soul. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I told you what, that there was an acting teacher who said to me once, um, Rachel, you have to perform everything as though it is the first and last time you will ever get to do it. You know, it's it's this idea that Wait, it has... Wait, I think that same person said that to her because she told the same story. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. That's funny. It could have been someone else. Or maybe it was just a, you know, maybe it's a thing and people t- talk about it. But I, 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 but it's, that's a saying that has really stuck with me. It's that, it's that idea of, you know, it makes it immediate. It makes it now. It makes it personal and necessary. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, it's interesting. I just got my AGMA newsletter. I think it's called the Ag Magazine or something. I can't remember. They Ag have some mag. sort of words. Um, and so the, at the end of the master class, she did a Q&A, which is great. She took about probably four questions maybe from various audience members. And one of them was referencing maybe, I think, this, this article in AGMA because she talked about how she never wants the music making to feel like an obligation. She never wants her singing career. She says, I I never want to feel tied to this career. Hmm. It's a privilege and responsibility to make music. I never wanted to feel like an obligation. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I thought that was so wonderful. I mean, I think because, you know... Once you've been studying it for so long. Yeah, it can it can feel like a major drag. You yeah, know? and it really... you feel like I <laughs> to myself to figure this out and to get good gigs, you know, and to make something of this career because I've been studying it for so long. And um, that's just not the right place to no. approach. It's also, it's also not, then it isn't really art, you know. Anytime art is an obligation... I mean, maybe you feel obligated because a part of your soul says this must be. And I feel like that's different than than like the practical side that's like, well, I've worked really hard, so I'm going to do this. You know, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense because art was never meant, I don't think, ever meant to be that. It's meant to be something where, you know, your your expression must must be heard, must be felt, must be experienced. Yes. And and this is the way that 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 that. needs to be so yes and in this in this agma article she also said something that you've said to me before which is if you can i think she had a mentor when she was an undergrad or someone told her oh wait i need to get my i need to get my citation right because i i didn't bring up that article i don't have it in front of me but so something uh, about like if you can do anything else do that exactly you already know (laughs) that's right they said um, and it may have been a famous singer now, but that's why I was trying to remember who it was who said this to her. But if you can do anything else, do it because yeah. this career is it's hard. It's too hard. No, and I've I've thought of that many times. You know, I've tried to sort of adjust. I've tried to do other things. I've tried to, but the music just it keeps calling me back. It's like nope, this is this is what I gave you, and you got to figure it out. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and yeah, mm-hmm. and I think this this whole experience with the masterclass and the concert with Joyce was so inspiring to me because I needed to hear that. Yeah. That's about awesome. what it's really about. Yep. She said in the in the Q&A, she said, let's bring it back to the music and see if we have something to learn. Mm. Inviting people to find more peace in their life. Like she really is a philanthropist. The yes. way that she presents her art and her music. It's generous. It's philanthropic. It really is. It's It's about healing. And like mm-hmm. that may sound cheesy to some people, but for me, I'm like, Bless you. Woman. That's that is the purpose of music, isn't it? Is it not? Is it is it not to to elevate and inspire and and bring us a sense of the divine? Definitely. So. So yeah. and she said, "Well, what's your um so one of the people asked, what's your what's your advice for a young singer?" And she said, "Well, number 1, be an extraordinarily good singer." <laughs> Which I was like, "Yes, that is definitely like if you want to do this career, that's, that is the top priority for sure. And then she said, be extremely clear about why you're doing it and be diligent about the way you present it. Hmm. So she says, we've, we've got to create something so compelling that people get out of their homes and put down their phones yep. to watch something. Or the red box. Yeah. What was that? Or the red box. Exactly. Exactly. Or the video games or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, or even just a TV series, Netflix, you know, people are, people have tons of things they can do for entertainment, you know, in their own homes and not have to lift a finger. Yeah. Um, and then this is what she said too. I, I also think the element of service is really important. We are part of beauty and truth on the earth. We are bringing this to people. It's not meant to be a source of stress. This idea of getting really clear about why, why we do opera, it made me think of the masterclass last summer with Maestro Tito Capobianco. Mm. Do you remember him asking people, what is opera? And then people giving these <laughs> terribly sterile textbook excuses, <laughs> excuses uh, definitions of opera. And, you know, and he wanted people to, to bear their souls about why why they are involved in this art form. And I think until we can do that, we won't have we won't have anything worthy to present. We have to be clear. We yes. have to be clear in our minds about why we are doing it. And what I appreciate about, you know, what you just shared about what Joyce said was, you know, being a sort of philanthropist, being a, you know, um, a vessel, a it's that you have to be clear that what you have been given is not for you. What you have been given is meant to share. It's meant to be for someone else. It's meant to be consumed by someone else. It's meant to be a, um, something that brings peace or that brings joy or that brings a sense of awe and, and that inspiration. Yeah. It's, 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 it's inspiration. And, and if it isn't those things, then even on like a lesser level, any time that we are preoccupied um, when we're performing, that is also self-indulgence. You know what I mean? Because yeah, even if it's not intended to be, that preoccupation is, is, is a distraction. And, yes, and it's a choice to be focused on the self. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for people who struggle with stage fright, I know. Um, 
but really like the thing that's so compelling about Joyce is her commitment to the character and she does not care what she looks like at least that's what it seems like from everything she says and everything she does and everything I've, I've observed about her she does not care what she looks like she is a woman on a mission and she is totally clear she says if you get clear about it you won't have to force anything talking about the career it will all fall into place I totally when she said that I totally got warm fuzzies I was like that is true yeah that's true <laughs> absolutely because when you're clear about what you want and who you are then other people know you know what to do with you <laughs> you know they know what to, I mean probably one, one of the biggest wake-up calls for me was when I was talking with my mentor and she said to me you know I'm not really sure what you want Rachel like you, you know, you dabble in so many things, like you work as a producer, you know, you work with this, that and the other and da, 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 da. And I'm like, yes, I want to sing. That's it. Like at the end of the day, I want to sing and I'm going to do whatever it takes to like make that happen. What is, and, and I think it's taken many years to figure out what it means for me to want to sing. Because I've, I've why right the why the, well the why I feel like I've always known the why is because I have something to share and because it affects people and that's my job my job is to affect people my job is is for people to cry for people to be touched for people to um, to think about maybe something bigger and it's not because of me it's because this is the charge that I've been given like that's how I feel yeah. um. But I always was feeling like a fraud because the voice just wasn't aligned. And it was like, well, how can I do this if if I know that I'm a liar? <laughs> and um, and it's taken years and years and teacher after teacher to find the right balance with somebody who helped me understand my own instrument enough to be able to fulfill what I feel is the measure of my um, artistic creation. Yes, and only you know what that is, because I would venture to say you've done some beautiful things along the way. Well, thank you. Yes. yes. I think we all, well, you wouldn't keep going if everyone was like, she just put a bag over it, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you need that. You need that inner fire to to, um, to, to make you want to keep getting better and keep finding, keep discovering what else is out there. Keep more depth, more truth. Yeah. So um, it was cute. Afterward, after the master class, I was in the I was in the ladies' room, and I heard people just raving. They were so excited about the master class, and a couple of the comments that I heard people say um, that I wanted to record because I thought it was so cute. One person said it was two hours of pure joy. Mm. And then another one said she was just so engaged the whole time. Yep. And I thought that is Joyce DiDonato in a nutshell. She is so engaged yep. all the time. She's and that is what makes her such a brilliant performer. Yeah. It's and absolutely. So it's, that, it's that presence. It's that being willing to be completely committed to what is happening right now and... Um, I think that that's something that we struggle with because we're always thinking about, you know, what brought you here and where we're going, which are important sort of peripheral things. But you have to be in the moment in order to have a, a performance that 
that is engaging and that, you know, will touch people. And, and I mean, even though it was a masterclass, it wasn't a performance, except it was because she had to be on for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, she it was like she was playing the role of best friend. Yeah. Man, and that's what you want in a master class. I get so tired of the I'm the teacher and I will make this my moment. Yeah, no, which, she was completely you know, self deprecating and so authentic. Yeah, authenticity. I, I just want to say a, um, a couple of words about the, the concert because I know we're short on time. Um, so she was sharing the stage with the Brentano string quartet, who. Um, just I, I can't describe the perfection of music that they make mm. because it's crazy um, and they were wonderful and she they played a, a Bach a set of um, fugues and then a, a group of pieces by Haydn mm-hmm. and then oh I shouldn't say that it was actually just four movements from the quartet in E flat Opus 20, number one. I have the program here. I don't have that memorized. Yeah, um, I anyway, can then Joyce came in and joined them for a set of five uh, Strauss art songs mm. that had been arranged for string quartet. And it was just divine. Of course, I know you love Strauss. I do. And are familiar with him. And these were um, songs that I had never heard before, actually. But they were just... I don't know. They were just dripping with beauty. Mm. Yeah, it was just gorgeous. And her use of the language, too, that was something else she talked about in the master class. It was so interesting for me to have a view into Joyce Di Donato in the master class as a person, you know, standing you know, 20 feet away from me, and, and then to see her on stage in a large concert hall and to remember who she was the day before and to see that she's still exactly that same person. Yeah. And that, that is, that is integrity. It was just, it was really beautiful actually, because she is so, she makes herself very accessible. Um, she is the transparent singer for sure. Yeah. And Definitely. the last thing, oh, she, she did some Spanish songs and she was like, I like to pretend I'm a mamacita when I can get away with it. I can't remember what she said, but it was cute. And then she did an aria by Handel and she prefaced it by saying, this is an aria, or when I was younger, I thought, I sort of dismissed Handel because I thought it's too simple or there's nothing to it. And she said, it took me a while to come back to this aria because I wanted to take my time with it because I realized how much substance mm. and depth there really is in Handel. Mm. And she sang La Shakyopianga. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but I had right i have well, memories with this song with this you have song. What? i have memories with this aria this was the aria i had to sing freshman year for my teacher over and over and over again so i'm just sitting there like turning his hand around and just enjoying it sorry go on it's that a beautiful cute. piece <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah well and and of course there's the very famous sarah brightman with a microphone on her face version of it and um it gets done a lot by beginning singers mm-hmm. and you know, Handel is, does have have a tendency to be somewhat disjointed melodically, which can be a challenge. It really can. But, um, but Joyce sang this with so much poise and so 
you know, she just was talking about how she had come to understand where she thought the character was coming from, finally, mm-hmm. and that's when she felt ready to sing it. Yep. And the voice was so simple. Yep. And the motion, there was no, there was no motion whatsoever. And because the piano part, which you know so well, because you've sung it so many times, yep. is so stark. In every key. Right? It's just, brum, brum. Brum, brum, brum. brum. Exactly. So it, it's, uh, it left the... It left the voice in this very transparent, very naked, exposed moment. Yeah. And it was 100% engaged. Yeah, because the the um, the rests were as much a part of the singing yes. as the voice. Yes. And but until you know where your character is coming from and what brought them to that moment you can't really live in the silence with authenticity. Exactly. And she did. That's exactly correct. That's exactly what she did. Um, and she, you know, she breathed. There was no rushing through this piece. And, you know, it, do, it does have a slow tempo. But I just was relishing every moment. It was so simple mm. and so beautiful. Mm. And that, for me, was the moment of the night um, she did sing as an encore. She, uh, an encore. She sang a, one the aria from La Donna del Lago, which is bel canto, which is her real bread and butter, bread and, butter yeah. and amazing job. But it was this piece because the thing that I love the most about Joyce is her ability, her willingness to be exposed and to be seen as an artist not just the parts of herself that she considers to be beautiful, but her whole self as a human being. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is what allows the audience to connect with her also as human beings, you know? There's mm-hmm. sort of this yeah. this bond that is forged because of her willingness to be vulnerable in those moments. And it's just breathtaking. Joyce Di Donato, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> She's awesome. She is awesome.